Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. All right, so in terms of the top story today, John Gruden is out. And not a moment too soon. Good riddance. The league is better off without him. The autumn wind is a Raider. And the former Raiders head coach is a racist. And a homophobe. And a misogynist. And probably just about everything else. Let's go back to Friday for a minute. On Friday, there was the report that he was using racist statements about DeMora Smith in an email. However, despite that fact, Gruden still coached on Sunday. He tried to claim that the racist statement was not racist and that he was just upset about the 2011 labor stoppage. And then he still coached on Sunday, knowing that there were more emails out there. And then yesterday, some of them dropped. According to the New York Times, in emails that Gruden sent to Bruce Allen, then the president of the Washington football team, he referred to the commissioner, Roger Goodell, using homophobic slurs. He used homophobic language to discuss the Rams drafting Michael Sam. The Times also notes that some of the emails between Gruden and Allen, which were sent to and from Allen's work account, including a guy who runs a college football bowl game and the co-founder of Hooters. So these emails are just flying around. In the emails reviewed by the Times, Gruden hits Goodell with a number of slurs. He seemed to be pissed about efforts by the league to reduce concussions, to employ women as members of the officiating crew, and to work for social justice. Apparently he had a problem with all of these things. He said that Eric Reed, who demonstrated against police brutality, should be fired. He made transphobic remarks and suggested that the owner of the Buccaneers should perform oral sex on him. Oh, and let's not forget, according to the New York Times, Gruden, Allen, and others sent around photos of topless women, including a photo of two Washington team cheerleaders. So, just to recap... He's using racist language, homophobic language, transphobic language, and he's emailing porn. I mean, this dude, this dude just can't stop sending slurs and porn to Bruce Allen and the dude from Hooters. So last night, he issues a statement which reads, quote, I have resigned as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. I love the Raiders and do not want to be a distraction. Thank you to all the players, coaches, staff, and fans of Raider Nation. I'm sorry I never meant to hurt anyone. End of quote. Yet Tom Brenneman cannot believe that apology. The only thing missing from Gruden's non-apology was a Nick Castellanos deep drive into left field. I made a comment earlier tonight that uh, I guess uh, went out over the year that I am deeply ashamed of Um, if I have hurt anyone out there I can't tell you how much I say from the bottom of my heart I'm so very very sorry I pride myself and think of myself as a a man of faith as there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos it will be a home run and so that'll make it a four nothing ball game I don't know if I'm gonna be putting on this headset again I don't know if it's gonna be anyway back to Gruden I, I love that Gruden says he does not want to be a distraction as if these emails were something that just kind of happened. 
instead of the reality of the fact that he was the guy writing and sending the emails. He was the guy swapping slurs and porn. How about him saying that he, quote, never meant to hurt anyone? My man, based on the topics you hit on in those emails, you were more than happy to slur and hurt as many people as possible. You're firing off emails to the president of an NFL team and the co-founder of Hooters and lobbing around slurs like they're screen passes. This guy was putting that stuff in emails, in emails for years, but he's allegedly, supposedly some football genius. Like, I'm not sure what's more insane, the content of the emails or the fact that we're allegedly talking about multiple emails over seven years. Like, he just kept on firing off slurs and porn to Bruce Allen and the co-founder of Hooters. Remember when this guy was saying that he did not have a single racist bone in his body? Turns out pretty much every bone in his body was racist. Urban Meyer, having dinner with his grandkids, can't believe that John Gruden was up there saying he doesn't have a racist bone in his body. Remember when Gruden also said, quote, I never had a blade of racism in me, end of quote. Turns out this dude was going crazy, multi-blade action on that racism and homophobia and transphobia and more. This dude was a freaking Swiss army knife of horrible takes and ideas. Again, I'm not sure what's crazier. Gruden claiming that Friday's email was taken out of context and that he was not a racist or the fact that he went ahead and he coached on Sunday knowing that other crap that he had put into emails over the years was going to drop. Like if he had bailed on Friday or Saturday, there's a chance we're not even hearing about these emails today. And the team had to know that some of these emails were going to come out, right? They had to know by Friday night. And yet they still went ahead and they let him coach. What, they thought they could ride this out? And let's not sleep on the fact that these emails were reportedly sent to the president of an NFL team. And nobody was saying to John, like, yo, man, hey, maybe you chill out. Maybe you knock it off with the racism and the homophobia and the sexism and everything else. Like, what does that tell you? At the very least, it tells you that Allen was pretty cool with all of this. Because he was participating with his work email address. So he thought that that was appropriate for the workplace. And it gives you a glimpse into the fact that one of the highest profile head coaches and a high profile team president are pretty cool with bigotry and trading porn. And I'm here to tell you, they're probably not alone. I mean, what is that? That's the very definition of an old boys club. And what's it say that all of this came up as part of an investigation into the Washington football team, but we still don't really know the results of that investigation. So honestly, there are a lot more questions than there are answers at this moment. I want to note, though, that I can't begin to imagine, for instance, what the last few days have been like for Carl Nassib or for any of the other Raiders or guys who played for Gruden over the years. Like, the guy that they were going to battle for was sending garbage like this out. And don't come in here and try to defend that guy by saying that those emails were from a long time ago. They are reportedly years and years of these emails. 
Now, I know folks want to stick up for him over the weekend by saying that the DeMora Smith email was from 10 years ago. Never mind that being racist was not better in 2011 than it is in 2021, or the fact that he was in his late 40s at that time, or that those emails went on until at least 2018. And don't come in here to say that for a chunk of his time, he was not a head coach in the league. No, he wasn't coaching a team, but he was one of the faces of the league because of that Monday Night Football gig and all of those commercials. No, he was not a head coach at that time, but how many coaches in the league at that time were more famous than Gruden? Just like I'm not interested in hearing your galaxy brain level take that this year's Super Bowl halftime performers have released songs that had offensive language in them too. I mean, you're not really going to try that with me, are you? You're not going to try to go with that, are you? There is an enormous difference between a musical artist using artistic expression and a guy who is one of the highest profile decision makers in the league firing off garbage like that repeatedly. And if you can't tell the difference between a halftime performer and a head coach, then that's on you. And speaking of head coaches, Gruden has been a wildly overrated, crappy coach for years. This dude has been dining out on that Super Bowl win and his scrunched up face for decades. He has won exactly zero playoff games since winning the Super Bowl. So what I'm saying is the Raiders are better off without him and so is the league. And John Gruden did not get canceled. That's not what happened. There's a difference between being canceled and having to face the consequences of your actions. This guy did not get canceled. Good riddance. Let me take a moment and talk to you about WinBet, the latest and greatest sports betting app on the market. The same five-star hotel service that you know and love is now in the digital betting space, providing an elite sports book and digital casino app. So whether you're playing money lines for NFL Week 6, Totals for college football week seven or both. WinBet has you covered. Are you looking for other sports? WinBet has those too. It's all right there for your WinBet app. And WinBet is also fully integrated with Win Rewards. That means by playing WinBet, you can accrue points to earn free credit in app and comp dollars towards perks at Win Resorts. Discounted hotel stays, priority dining and entertainment, free merch. It really is the best loyalty program in the industry. Call it a win-win. Whether playing from your phone or your computer, you've absolutely got to sign up for WinBet ASAP. Bet with the best. Get into the game. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. You do have to be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Kenny Clark is my guest. Kenny, it's good to have you on. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me on. It's good to have you on, Kenny. Man, what a wild, wild game that was over the Bengals. If you could take me back, what was going through your head when Mason Crosby, generally really clutch, was missing those kicks? Oh uh, man, I was just hoping uh, he 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 made he made one of them. Man, I was I was so tired and just exhausted, uh, just all the emotion, and um, you know it was hot out there. Uh, it was it was it was a crazy game. That's probably one of the craziest games I've ever been a part of. 
Yeah, I actually respect that response a lot, man. You're probably like, I'm exhausted. Can we just finish this thing? <laughs> and it keeps going. Like, obviously, you've got a lot of confidence in Crosby, but when the defense is making plays and the offense keeps getting in a position to win it and he's not making the kicks, is there any part of you thinking, man, this is just not our day. We're not supposed to win this particular game. No, I mean, I, I, I got full confidence in in, uh, in everybody, man. Um, you know, I didn't see Mason do that, you know, thousands of times, and then um, I seen our offense, you know, put plenty of points on the board. So, um, you know, we I was confident that that we were gonna get the job done. Um, it's just, you know, the game was just, man, it was just an exhausting game, and just, you know, with everything uh, going on, um, you know, you're on the road, and uh, that was a, a, a real tough opponent, and uh, you know. Our, I think our defense stepped up and uh, made some great stops um, late, and uh, you know got them got them off the field, and and you know they missed some kicks too, and um, you know we finally came through. Hey Kenny, they are tough, right? Those are not the Bengals that I think people are accustomed to seeing. That's a tough nosed team, a hard nosed team, and a tough team. So when you lay it out like that, like when you're going through all this emotionally and it's tough, and you're on the road and you're exhausted, and then he makes that game winner finally. What then does that feel like? What's it like in the locker room? And then what's the flight back home like? Oh uh, man, it was great. Uh, it, it's a it's a relief, um, and I think that's just a character win for our team. Um, you know. Uh, it, it feels good to to get a win like that, you know, for our team, and uh, just just you know the guys inside, just you could tell nobody really wavered about you know how they felt. Everybody, every kick that that Mason went up there and went to go kick, we had confidence that he he was gonna make it. Um, so like you know we we had full confidence that that we were gonna pull it out. Uh, it was just a matter of when, and um, you know that's just a a, a good uh, a good it was a good opponent on the road. Uh, too, you know that was a really tough opponent, um, and uh, that that was good that we got that win because uh, that that was that was a championship win right there. Mm. We're talking to Kenny Clark. Kenny, you had a big game yourself, including that pressure on Joe Burrow that led to his interception early in the third quarter. Take me back to that, if you would. What do you remember about that play, and then how much pride do you take in the fact that you were able to make that play and force that turnover in that situation? Yeah, so um, so the, the the play before the. The play before that, right before half, I had put that on me because I could have, I could have got to the ball, and um, when he threw that seventy-yard touchdown to to Chase, uh, I feel like I could have got there and, and, and messed up that throw, um, and you know I was pretty, I was pretty ticked off about that uh, with myself, and um, I just told myself, you know, the next time, you know, I, I get in that situation, uh, I gotta, I gotta get to the ball, I gotta keep finishing, finishing plays. I was doing a good job finishing plays the whole game into that that one play. And uh, I just got an opportunity. Um, you know, the office lineman had had came out and tried to reach me, um, and you know, I just felt just felt the play action uh, came off of it quick. And then um, you know, Joe Burrow tried to to scramble out uh, and roll out the pocket, and um, I just just stayed after him. And uh, you know, he ended, I ended up affecting the throw, and uh, Amos made a great uh, catch. I mean, uh, a great interception on the ball. Kenny Clark is my guest. Hey, listen, I don't know if your guy, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, is going to admit this on Twitter, but at least from the outside looking in, you look to me to be more explosive than ever, faster than ever on the field these days. Does it feel that way to you? And if so, how much more dominant do you feel on the result or feel on the field as a result? Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely feel more explosive uh, this year on the field. Um, just um, my – my get off from compared from last year to this year uh is way better um and I just think i'm just I'm just way more locked in uh to 
to everything. Um, I've been been moving around a little bit more um, on the, in the def- on the defense. Um, a lot of guys have been stepping up and doing a great job, and um, you know I'm just picking my spots and and uh, just just trying to do my job to the best of my ability. Um, but I think just just my get off you know, and my initial shock on offensive linemen um, and how I can knock guys back and all that kind of stuff uh, that's really been paying off. And you know stuff that I, I work I work on and uh, something that I've been really good at you know for for since I've been playing football. So uh, just trying to just you know just trying to just you know keep keep that going you know for the rest of the season um, and into these next couple of games and uh, just just handle my business, take care of my body. And, uh, yeah, just keep keep that flow going. We're talking to Kenny Clark. Listen, I've talked to defensive linemen over the years, and they always say that sacks are not a great way to measure the impact that a player can have on the game. I mean, obviously you'd love to get sacks. You always want sacks. But how much do you focus on the sacks, and how much do you focus on just disrupting the opposing offense on every single play? Uh, I think I think it's huge, especially for uh, interior defensive linemen. Um, yeah, like you said, of course, I you know I would love to have have a sack, have have twenty sacks. I, I would love to, um, but uh, as as long as as long as I'm being disruptive and um, I'm affecting the play, um, all that stuff, all the sacks and stuff is gonna come. You know, our our coverage guys have have been doing um, um, doing a really good job, uh, and you know we've been we've been affecting affecting the passer, and uh, you know I've been trying to just be disruptive and affect the passer uh, as best as I can, and uh, you know. As soon as I, I mean, I got I got one in that San Francisco game, but um, you know, they, I got full confidence that the sacks and all that kind of stuff will start rolling in. I got to just keep keep staying at it, staying relentless uh, uh, in my pursuit of the quarterback. And um, you know, I have one of those games where I have have probably two two and a half like I had before, and I got to just you know just stay after it. You know, to that point, that that 49er game you mentioned, you had six quarterback pressures, and you were knocking guys back, and you were shoving offensive linemen around, blowing up plays, wreaking havoc. I think most people listening right now will never experience anything like that. How would you describe that feeling when you know you're dominating the guy in front of you, play after play after play, and controlling the game? What does that feel like? Man, you just like it's, it's an unexplainable feeling. You just feel like you're in the zone. Um, you just feel like you're just so locked in to to you know whatever is happening you know the game just feels slow um and you know it's just a it's just a i would just say it's just a focus you know it's, it's nothing really physical um you know about it besides i mean it's just uh just my eyes and um uh, my my mind my mindset and uh just how focused and how locked in i was um you know specifically talking about that game just um just paid off. Talking to Kenny Clark for a few more moments. I mean, Kenny, you just turned 26 last week, but coming into the year, you were already the longest tenured player on defense, if you can imagine that. As a result, you're in a really interesting spot of still being young, but also being a vet that other guys look to. What's that like? And then how do you go about helping and mentoring the younger guys? Uh, man, it's just I just just got to continue to just be myself um, with that. Uh, yeah, I'm still am like a like a young guy technically. You know, being on being only 26. Um, you know, so, uh, I just, I just think, you know, I just, you know, try to relate, try to relate different, you know, with all the younger guys coming in and, uh, you know, try to just, you know, stay in guys' ear, um, you know, talk to, talk to as many, as many guys as possible and just be myself, man. Just come in, come to work, you know, lead by example, uh, speak when I need to speak. And, um, and, you know, if somebody needs to be talked to, you know, talk to them on the side and, and um and figure out you know what the problem is or how we can get how we can get better so 
um, you know, that's my main focus, um, you know, when we talk about leadership. But, uh, yeah, definitely I'm, I'm still a young guy, you know, in the locker room. And I'm still, you know, still learning stuff, you know, each and every day. So, um you know that that's a that's a bonus too. Hey, listen, I'm not there. I'm not even close to being there. But the one guy you might want to pull aside is your guy MVS. I had him on the show back in <laughs> August. We talked about the fact that you and he have had some great exchanges on Twitter. How about that time when you tweeted that he was trying to gain some weight, and he responded with, "Quote: Give me some of yours. I'm sure you've got plenty to spare, especially in the rolls on your neck." End of quote. I mean, dude, what was your reaction when he hit you with that? Yeah, man, this is this is every day with, with me and Clay. <laughs> every <laughs> this day, is every day, man. Every uh, damn day, all day. Yeah, we we our lockers are, are literally right next to are literally right next to each other. So, um, all, all day in the locker room, you know, me and him cracking jokes on each other, and you know, the whole locker room just sitting there, just just listening to us the whole day. So, um, yeah, we bicker back and forth at each other, but. You know, I don't, I don't really do, like, all the social media stuff too often. So, you know, he be getting me on the social media sometime. I get that. So one more thought. Like, <laughs> we were talking about speed and explosiveness. He also didn't seem to agree with this notion that you've got this speed. Quote, you ain't never ran that fast in your life. Like, is he jealous <laughs> of your speed? Or does he just not understand the quickness and explosiveness that you bring to the game? Yeah, he, he got to be. I, I just think he, he don't understand it, man. He's just so used to hopping out of bed and just being able to just, you know, be skinny and, and run around and, and, and just run fast. That's that's what he do. So he, he, he don't understand, you know, a big boy, you know, running and getting after the quarterback and uh, being able to, to, to be explosive. He, he don't understand that part of the game. So I'm trying to catch him. You know, he, he's locker right next to mine, so I'm trying to catch him up on the edge. I get there. that. You got to educate him on that. All right, so finally you're, you're getting ready for a division game against the Bears, and the expectation is you're going to face Justin Fields. How do you go about preparing for the rookie, and what is the key to limiting him? Uh, the key, man, is just uh, just just getting after him, man, um, just making making the game. Don't make anything uh, easy for him as far as looks. And, um, you know, when we get a chance to rush him, you know, he can run. He can run. Uh, he does a great job with his legs, and you can tell he's uh, he's gaining a lot a lot more confidence in the offense. So, uh, just just staying after him and, and and being disruptive, you know, up front, and then uh, in the back end, just making sure we don't give him good looks to to make those easy passes for him to get a, get a rhythm going. Um, with those rookie quarterbacks, uh, you got to just stay after those guys, man, and just um, you know make things hectic for them, and uh, you know so so they don't get comfortable. And uh, that's that's our that's our goal going into uh, this Sunday. Hey, Kenny, one last thing. You played your college ball at UCLA, and now you play for the Green Bay Packers. I'm an L.A. native, and we sent our son to the University of Wisconsin, so we have a property in northern Wisconsin. I'm kind of curious, as somebody who spends as much time in Cali as you have, what's it like to live and work in Wisconsin, in Green Bay? Oh, man, it's a, you know, it's a great place. Um, just, you know, family atmosphere. You know, people out here are are really good people, um, and you know, I'm sure, sure they love it, man. Uh, you guys love it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a place where, you know, you can just come out and just focus on, on you and uh, focus on, you know, your, your game. And then, uh, um, and the beautiful thing about here is you get all four seasons. You know, you get, you know, you get all four of the seasons, so you get a chance to, you know, appreciate, you know, fall and summer and. 
uh, winter, spring, you get to appreciate all those things. So, um, you know, you don't get that all the time in California. It's always, That's, it's always sunny. Dude, you nailed it. It's not a small thing, man. It's not a small thing. When we got our property in northern Wisconsin, I kept hearing about that, the change of seasons, the change of seasons. I'm like, I'm from Los Angeles. I've never seen any change of season, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Green Bay is in first in the division. Kenny Clark's having a big year, and they're at Chicago on Sunday. Kenny, appreciate you very much. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for doing that. That was fun. I appreciate you. Hey, let me ask you something. Does this sound familiar to you? You've got one device that allows you to catch the game live, another one that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights from your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for the good stuff. Now, let me tell you about a simple way to get all of that entertainment that you love, but without all that hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. And it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can catch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in the same place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part is there is no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion. Get your TV and your life together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible devices required. Content varies by package. And then this. So if there's one person, and you wouldn't think anybody would be, but if there's one person who is thrilled about the John Gruden news, then you know who that is, right? Urban Frank Meyer Third. Because if it wasn't for John Gruden slurring it up in the emails... The world's attention would be focused on the latest moronic ramblings of Urban Meyer. But if you think that Urban is going to skate, think again. He made it to hour three. I'll give him that. But, and I want to be very clear about this. I would really rather not talk about Herb today. I would really rather not talk about Herb on any day. But especially not on a day when there's so many other things going on. Except this guy just insists on it. He refuses to not be a topic. He demands to be a topic every day. Because yesterday, he had this to say. I like our identity right now. If you say, what's the identity of the Jacksonville Jaguar offense? It's a physical offense that runs the ball and balance. Interesting take, Herb. Because if somebody were to ask me, and granted, going by Seth Wickersham's scale, which I thought was kind of funny, and I don't disagree... He said, if you want to rank the knowledge of people when it comes to football, on the very lowest rung are fans, and then on the next lowest rung are talk show hosts, which I thought was pretty funny. That said, I'll own that. If somebody were to ask me, Herb, what the identity of the Jacksonville Jaguar offense is, I would say that identity is that of an 0-5 football team. I would say it's the only team in the NFL that has not scored more than 21 points. And that they've only gotten a 21 twice this season. Like the Jets have the worst scoring offense in the league. And even they have scored more than 21 points this season. But your offense has not. That to me is your identity. I would say that is your identity. The identity that you're not very good. And what we're, that we're entering the sixth week now. And you still have not found the time to teach your quarterback how to sneak it. Four feet. That also is a part of your identity. Except he wasn't done. Because you know Herb, he's never done. 
He has to just keep on talking and just keep on spitting absolute nonsense. Then he started to talk about his goals, goals for the offense. So what do you think those goals might be? To win a game, to score 22 points, to figure out how to do a quarterback sneak? Wrong, wrong, and wrong. Here is his goal. You know, our goal is always 250, 250. I want to say we were 250, 200. You know, that's what we want to be. Our tailbacks are running hard, both of them. Our offense line's coming off the ball with physical. I thought Trevor, in his last three games, has been, I mean, just he's on a steady progress. So I, I like the progress of the offense. Did you hear what this guy just said? Did you hear what he just said? His goal is to have 250 rushing yards and 250 passing yards. 250, 250. That's right. He wants his team to be going for 250 on the ground and 250 in the air on a weekly basis. 250, 250. Hey, Einstein, easy. How about you scheme your way to a win first and then start worrying about rushing for 250 and passing for 250 every game. And yes, I'm well aware that that was the goal in college. Except in college, he was coaching Ohio State against Akron. When you're the Buckeyes and you're facing Toledo, you can think about averaging 250 on the ground and in the air. But in the NFL, that might be the dumbest goal ever. The Cleveland Browns, who I was tweeting about when I said they had the best backfield in the NFL right now, they do. They have the best rushing attack in the NFL. They average less than 190 rushing yards per game. And they're the best. They have the kind of rushing attack that you dream about. And they're still more than 60 yards per game away from Irv's goals. The 73 Buffalo Bills averaged 220 yards per game. And that's still 30 yards short of what Herb wants his 0-5 Jags to be doing. And the 73 Bills had O.J. Simpson, and he went for over 2,000 yards. And I doubt that you've got 73 O.J. Simpson in your locker room, Herb. And if you do have O.J. Simpson in your locker room, look out! Uh... Then again, he did have Aaron Hernandez in his locker room. Herb's Jags currently average less than 130 yards per game on the ground. It's not bad. It's not bad. But it's barely half of what he's asking for. Like, you should have goals. But make sure they're realistic. Don't be standing up there in front of everybody when you're 0-5 and saying that you want to go for 250 yards on the ground and 250 yards through the air every single week. Because if you do that, if you stand up in front of everybody when you're 0-5 and you say things like that, you sound like an idiot. You sound like you're out of touch and you have no idea what you're doing or what the hell you're talking about. You sound like you're in so far over your head, you don't know what's up and you don't know what's down. And we know that's the case. You just don't want to keep reminding everybody of that. Yeah, I know. You want to get out of Dodge and get back to playing Akron and Toledo and a bunch of directional schools again and beating up on Jim Harbaugh. Get out of Dodge. But you're in the NFL now. We know that. Your players know that. 
The only guy who doesn't seem to know that is Urban Meyer. He's the one rolling up on Vic Fangio and saying that the NFL is hard, dog. It's like you're facing Alabama every week. A lot of good players in this league now. Yeah, there are. It's Alabama every week. Yeah. Right. And you're Akron every week. Now he's coming up with these completely irrational goals like rushing for 250 and passing for 250 every week. I mean, what else is on that vision board, Herb? Taking the Jags to the Sugar Bowl? Getting Jacksonville uh, to win the Big Ten? Getting Trevor Lawrence in the running for the Heisman? Because all of those things make about as much sense as you going 250-250. Why not make it the 400-400 club? Why not say you want to score 100 points every single week? I got a better idea. You know what you should do? Make sure your quarterback knows how to gain four inches on the ground before you start saying that the team should average 250 yards on the ground. And imagine the audacity to stand up there on Sunday and say that your quarterback does not know how to do a quarterback sneak. And then to come back on Monday and say that your goal is actually 250 rushing yards and 250 passing yards per game. I mean, that really is incredible. Like, the funniest bleep ever. And the other 31 head coaches around the league have to be shaking their heads and laughing their asses off every time he says something like that. (laughs) Yeah, sure thing, Herb. You're 0-5, but you're going to average 250 yards per game. 250-250. On the ground. And through the air. Yeah, you definitely are, Vince Lombardi. Get it. Can you imagine what the other 31 coaches must think of this guy? Worse yet, can you imagine being the first NFL head coach to lose to this guy? Nobody wants that on their resume. Trust me, they're going to fight like hell to make sure they're not the guy because they know that everybody else will mock them and laugh at them. And because they know that if they're the first one to lose to him, that that's going to stick to them forever. They'll never live that down. They don't want that. I got to tell you about this crazy experience. The first moment that I sat in my ex chair, I was like, whoa, are you kidding me about this? This is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. Like I never actually looked forward to sitting in my office until I got my ex chair. Fact. Let me ask you this. Can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? Doubt it. My ex chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? Doubt that. My ex chair can. High performance. Quality engineering, extreme comfort. These are all reasons I love my X chair. And sometimes even if I'm not working, man, I just sit in my X chair just so I can, you know, get that feeling. So take my advice. Try X chair for yourself. Risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never, ever go back. I'm telling you. Go to xchairrome.com right now. That's the letter X chair. R-O-M-E.com or call 1-844-4-X-CHAIR for 100 bucks off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. XCHAIRROME.com, XCHAIRROME.com. Seth Wickersham is my guest. Seth, it's good to have you back. How are you? 
I'm great, man. How are you doing? Good, good, Seth. So really quickly, today is pub day. I know you did an event at Bull Run Restaurant last night. How does it feel to have that book out in public now? Oh, man, it's so... it's so freaking awesome and that and that event last night was just great i mean you know the patriots fans were just awesome and it was it was it was awesome man good good all right so it's a great book and there are a lot of different parts that we could talk for hours about but last year when you and i spoke about a piece you did for espn about brady's departure from foxborough we talked about a conversation you had with brady back in november of 20 or 2001 i should say how would you describe that brady way back then compared to the one we see right now I mean, they're completely different, except for a, a couple of essential qualities. I mean, they're obviously different because you, you can't even really look at Brady like a celebrity anymore. He's expanded into some sort of different realm, almost like a member of the global elite for whom, you know, human longevity is human destiny. It's not going to surprise me if one day he retires from football and moves beyond sport and just tries to reverse the aging process altogether. All that said, he's... A lot of uh, one of the most interesting things I found about Brady and Belichick, and we spend a lot of time talking about their differences, but something they have in common is they have an incredible ability to see the possibilities and the power in the next play. Nobody in NFL history has almost been more optimistic about what could happen despite what has happened than these two. And you see it play out on an international stage where Brady rallies the Patriots down from double digits twice in Super Bowls in the fourth quarter, all of the great goal line stands that Belichick's defenses have engineered, going back to when he was with the Giants. And that person is still the same. I'll never forget, you know, back in November of 2001, he said, you know, football's always come really easy to me. And it's one of those moments that at the time you kind of roll your eyes at. You're like, well, who says that? And now, of course, it's, it's almost lore in retrospect. Seth Wickersham is joining us. The book is called It's Better to Be Feared It's Out. I mean, you're right. Like, who says that? But then in 2007, Brady starts to change. How would you describe that change? Well, his celebrity just took off. There was a couple forces at play. Number one, he became a father for the first time. Number two, it's when he started dating Giselle Bündchen in, in earnest, and he ceased to become Boston famous and became worldwide famous. And the third thing that happened was Spygate. And the Patriots and his, you know, integrity were questioned for the first time. He was looked at as the chief beneficiary of a major cheating scandal. And so all of those things happened and played out all at the same time. And although I go, I go deep into Spygate and I go deep into that 2007 season and really try to get into the exact things that Belichick said to try to motivate that team and, and keep them undefeated until the final moments of the Super Bowl. But I also have some funny moments, and one of the funny moments happened that year where Brady shows up at the Patriots facility, and he's got a Louis Vuitton bag, and one of the coaches sees something furry in it, and he was like, what's that? And Brady looks kind of sheepish, and he says, that's Giselle's dog. <laughs> and he had brought Giselle's dog because it was his turn to watch the dog, so he brought the dog to the Patriots facility, and he needed a place to stash the dog. And so he asked the coach, hey, can I stash the dog in your office? Please don't tell any of the teammates that I've got this dog here. And, of course, the entire team found out within the hour and gave him a hard time about it. That is funny. They loved it. Seth Wickersham is joining us. So let me follow you up on that notion of whether or not they cheat, right? The Patriots are accused of cheating. Let me ask you this. Is it just jealousy, sour grapes, bad luck, or is there something to the questions and investigations that have haunted the Brady-Belichick Patriots? Is there something there? Well, of course there's something. And 
uh, Spygate, there's no question about it. The question, and will always kind of remain a mystery, is, you know, how deep it went. Obviously, the NFL in September of 2007 took the Spygate tapes that the Patriots had um, initially not wanted to share with the NFL, but finally did, and Gen- Jeff Pash, the league's general counsel, stomped them into pieces in a Gillette Stadium conference room and left the pieces of the tape on the floor for the Patriots to clean up afterwards. So obviously the NFL will always wonder what was on those tapes. And one of the interesting things I found when I was reporting the book is when Spygate broke, that's September of 2007, and Roger Goodell, who's still a pretty green commissioner, is trying to investigate seven years' worth of illegal filming in a matter of days. He calls all these NFL GMs and, general, and, and head coaches, and they're just piling on Belichick. It's the height of piousness. They are saying, this guy's dirty, you've got to punish him, you've got to throw the book at him. And he calls Mike Shanahan, who at the time was the coach of the Broncos and probably the second-best coach in the NFL, and Mike Shanahan gave a great glimpse into the mindset of the best of the very best. He tells Roger Goodell that he was jealous that he didn't think to tape signals himself and that taping signals means everything, and that Peyton Manning is the best at stealing them, and that he wished he had taped them himself, even if it's against the rules, because there had been no precedent for punishment. And so if you're going to do it, why not see what the punishment is after the fact, if you can gain that edge? And I thought that was really interesting, because he both came to Belichick's defense and explained why it was important. It's really interesting. The book is called It's Better to Be Feared. Seth Wickersham is joining us. He's the author. It's interesting because it brings us to the next point. And you make the point, Seth, in the book that when it comes to football, there are various levels of understanding the game. On the very lowest rung, you have most fans. Then talk radio hosts. And then it keeps moving up to players, great players, assistant coaches, head coaches, Super Bowl winning coaches, and then sitting alone at the top is Bill Belichick. So how does Belichick have so much more knowledge and expertise than everybody else? Well, I think that it started with his childhood and and learning the game under his dad and the fact that he started in the NFL basically when he graduated from college. But one of the most interesting things that I get into with Bill is – You know, for someone who's kind of an introvert and socially awkward, he understands human behavior better than almost any head coach in NFL history. And he breaks coaches along the way. He knows that if he applies pressure and stress, that at some point the opposing coach and quarterback will revert to their most essential selves, and at that point he feels like he's got them. Here's an example. This is a pivotal moment in the dynasty. In January of 2015, the Patriots are down by two touchdowns to the Baltimore Ravens. They unveil those famous Baltimore formations and Raven formations. And they did it not only knowing that it was going to be a matchup problem for the Ravens, but they did it knowing that John Harbaugh is a great coach but also has a great temper, and that if they got an edge on on Harbaugh and got that team confused, he might go into a tailspin on the sideline. And sure enough, if you watch that game, he actually got a 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct penalty because he was so incensed with what the officials were doing and how they were allowing New England to use these matchups and not give the Ravens time to match up. And so he's always kind of been someone who understands how to crawl inside the heads of opposing coaches and quarterbacks and use that to his advantage. Nobody's ever been better at it. Right, and it's not like Harbaugh's the only guy that he's done something like that, too. Even Mike Shanahan, Mike Martz. I mean, what does Belichick think about the power that comes along with something like that? He studies head coaches. He studies head coaches really, really 
you know, I think more than almost anybody else. And he kind of understands their behavior better than they do. And, and Brady even said it once. He, you know, he was like, if you ever saw one of Belichick's scouting reports, you'd think that he understands the opposing team better than they know themselves. And he would do it with Peyton Manning, too. Like, when he was having all his success against Peyton Manning at the beginning part of the dynasty, he would give away the inside run, the run up the middle to Peyton Manning, knowing that someone as smart as Peyton would get bored calling runs up the middle. And it was once he started deviating from that, they had him. And, and it was, you know, he, just, he knows how to do stuff like that. And I think it's one of the, the key essential ingredients to why he's been so good for so long. Seth Wickersham's book is out right now. Seth, as you look back on it, how much did the relationship between Brady and Belichick changed during the 2017 season, especially as it relates to Jimmy Garoppolo. I think it was a big deal. I think that, look, they after the Falcons' Super Bowl, Brady and Belichick had won their fifth together. That was history. And Brady started to change. He wanted to be more than just an employee, more than just a Patriots quarterback. He was starting to push his TB12 business and came out with his book. He did the Tom vs. Time documentary, of which the Patriots only had nominal awareness. He and Belichick, of course, you know there was there was power struggles within the building with Alex Guerrero and how much influence he was having, and players who felt like they were caught in the middle between him and the Patriots trainers. So Belichick curtailed Guerrero's access, and then in the middle of it all, you had Jimmy Garoppolo, who Bill turned down trade offers for, and finally shipped to Kyle Shanahan at the last minute for only a second rounder. Um, but I think the the essential thing you got to remember from that time is that Brady wanted a contract to take him until he was age 45, which was not only his personal goal, but also kind of his business plan. And he never got it. The Patriots always saw him. They wanted to go year by year. He never got that deal. And that continued into August of 2019. They're trying to negotiate a contract. The Patriots still won't give him a guaranteed contract till he's age 45. At one point, Brady considers walking out of training camp in protest. He ends up signing a one-year deal that allows him to be a free agent after the season. And 48 hours later, he and Giselle Bunchen put their Boston house on the market. Hmm. Seth, one last thought. After his return to Foxborough in Week 4, there were reports that Belichick and Brady spent about 20 minutes together. Based on your reporting, what is your sense as to what that conversation may have been like and what they would have talked about? I think it was a... I don't have any insight other than what's been said publicly, but I think it was a good conversation, and I think it's a sincere one. I think that these two guys have always understood, even if they got on each other's nerves at times, they have always understood that what they accomplished together was amazing. And so I, I think that even though, especially on the Brady side, there was some rawness that the Patriots opened the door for him to walk out of, and he did walk out of it, I think that there's always going to be a love between them because of what they were able to do together. And I think that when they, you know, each of them are inducted into the Hall of Fame, I think they will use that word love when describing one another, and I think it'll be sincere. And then finally, was there ever a scenario in which Brady and Belichick would go out together, or was it always about one of them outlasting the other? I think it was always about the last man standing. I don't think there was ever a chance that these two guys were going to go out together. It just... The, 
one of the interesting things about these two is that they just keep ignoring all of the exit ramps. All the times they could have left the game by now, this spectacularly unhealthy profession, and with their wealth and legacy and health intact, they just keep blowing by all these exits. These are two men who are running for a finish line that doesn't exist, and so I think that because of that, there was no chance that they were ever going to leave together. He is a senior writer at ESPN, the author of It's Better to Be Feared, the New England Patriots Dynasty and the Pursuit of Greatness. This is a great, great read. Seth, congratulations. Great effort. Great book. It's always good to talk to you on the show, Seth. Thanks so much. Thanks, bud. I want to tell you about one of my favorite things ever, Grove Collaborative. Grove Collaborative is an online marketplace that delivers natural home, beauty, and personal care products directly to your door. The goal here is to make living a healthy lifestyle easy and accessible for you and your family. Grove is the online marketplace that delivers healthy home, beauty, and personal care products directly to you. And Grove Collaborative takes the guesswork out of going green. So browse the site for thousands of home, beauty, and personal care products, all guaranteed to be good for you, your family, your home, and the planet. Making the switch to natural products has never been easier and for a limited time. When you go to grove.co slash roam, grove.co slash roam, you will get to choose a free gift with your first order of $30 or more. But you have to use our special code. Go to grove.co slash roam to get your exclusive offer. That's grove.co slash R-O-M-E. Like how bleeping good is the postseason. And I mean this. That's not a joke. I'm not setting anything up. I can't get enough of postseason baseball. And clones, you can stop already. Dodger Jim, hashtag Dodger Jim, did not have a tough time rolling out of the rack this AM because I had to, quote, face the music of my team losing. In fact, if you follow me on Instagram, you saw me post a pic of my clock. I rolled out at 3.30 a.m., Did it seem like I had a hard time getting my ass out of bed because, quote, my team lost? I was up at 3.30 a.m., ready to roll. First off, the Dodgers are not my team. My name is not Dodger Jim. Do I sound like I'm having a rough go around here? Trust me, I'll get to the Dodgers. After all, I'm Dodger Jim, right? But first, I want to put the proper respect on the Red Sox. Like Red Sox fan, how the hell are you living? How the hell are you feeling right about now? Did you see your team getting to where it is right now? Because I'm going to look you right in the eye and say, I didn't see that. In fact, I'm shocked that you are where you are right now. How about that game last night? Game four in your crib. You're up two games to one. The place is buzzing. You jump on the raise early on. You have a 3 nothing lead through five. It looks like a smooth drive right to the ALCS. That is, if you're not in the know. But if you are in the know, and Red Sox fan is, with that pitching staff, nothing is ever smooth. Because these cats don't just leak oil at times. More often than not, the gasket is shot, they're dropping engine parts all over the road, and bleep is gushing out of it. It's like me wrecking the pace car. Something else that did not happen. But I remember when we pulled that thing over... Everything was spilling out. That's the Red Sox staff. They're pitching. And that's exactly what started to take place in the fifth when they had to face the great Wander Franco. Wander Franco, their best hitter in this postseason. Cracks it in the air to center field. Hernandez going back on this one. It is gone! Franco and the Rays say not so fast. 
A two-run game on a two-run shot from the kid. Thought the kid was going to hit that thing off the sit-go sign. Yes, I said the 21 or 20-year-old Wander Franco is great. He is. He's amazing. 5-3. Raised within a couple of runs. And then the last person that any Boston fan wants to see at the dish in the eighth is the guy who's at the dish in the eighth. And yes, it is still the month of Rosarena for a little bit longer. And if he's not going Benny the Jet and ripping home, he's tying the game right here. Swing and a looper in the right field. That's going to get through for a base hit. Kiermaier, late break, gets the third. He's being waved home. Throw to the plate. Too late. In the second base goes the Rosarena. The Rays have come all the way back and have tied this game at five. Rays radio. Good piece of hitting right there. Chouts. You know you were nervous right then. But somehow, someway, you pull a Tyson Fury. You get your ass up off the mat. You get out of that inning. And in the ninth, you do what you do best. You stand in. You battle back. You go right for the Rays' trachea. And you end this series right now. On an 0-1 pitch, Hernandez. There you go. And again, I'm not going to say that I'm not more than a little bit shocked. I did not see that happening. So give the Red Sox their second consecutive walk-off and the series, and then that's how they win it. And they do it with big at-bats. I mean, that's pretty much all they did in that series was hit. The Rays, and the reason I thought the Red Sox would not win that series, the Rays in their arms, the Rays in the American League best ERA. They have a deep and talented bullpen. Deep and talented bullpens win in the postseason. Yet they allowed 26 runs over four games to Boston. 26 runs. So I got to tip my hat. And I have to admit, I did not think they'd win that series. So Red Sox haters, how do you like them chowds now? You all had them melting down during the stretch run. You all had them getting knocked out by the great Garrett Cole in the wild card. You all said there would be no match for the 100 win and the team that most smart people thought was going to advance the Rays. And by the way, when I say you all, I'm part of you all. I believed all those things, honestly. I didn't think they'd get by Cole. I didn't think they'd get there in the first place. And I certainly didn't think they'd beat the Rays. And they did all those things, so I'll own that. And I know that Alex Cora rubs a lot of people the wrong way. A lot of you. I'm not arguing against that. I'm not talking you off that point. If you don't like the guy, you don't like the guy. But right about now, this guy looks pretty damn smart. Yeah, I know. I know. You all don't love him or the Red Sox. I should interview that musician. That is a cheesy song, man. Get it, whoever you are. Dude, that, that guy makes memes. Sound like John Lennon. Anyway, that, that's not true. We don't all love the Red Sox. But they deserve some bleeping credit. They do. And Rays fan, I know that you have felt heartbreak, especially this past season, but damn, that's got to hurt. That has got to hurt now. I cannot spin that. That was an absolute kick in the package. Again. 
Robert Alfred's my guest. Listen, you've been around some really good teams in your NFL career. You won an NFC championship. You had a huge game in the Super Bowl. You know what it takes to have success in this league. Knowing all of that, knowing the talent you have on defense and on offense, what's the upside of this team? How good can this group be? Yeah, I feel like we got something special going on here, man. Um, everyone um, is willing to um, come out each and every day and um, compete against each other to make each other better. And I think when you have those um, type of players on the team, I feel like the sky's the limit for us. Um, at the end of the day, we got to do is just keep on going out there, executing, and um, never getting comfortable. Go out there each and every day with something to prove. And I feel like with the guys that we have, um, in this locker room, um, there's no doubt that we're going to come out each and every day and, um, and make each other better and go out there and execute and, and um, dominate on Sundays. You know, Robert, I think that a lot of people know your story and your background, but not everybody. So, for instance, your journey is really inspiring. For those who don't know, you signed with the Cardinals in 2019, then you suffered a season-ending leg injury. What was it like to come to a new team and then not get to play that first season? Um, it was tough, man. Um, coming into that that um, 2018-19 season, um, after being um, cut by Atlanta, man, I had something to prove. And um, when I went down with that leg injury, man, it was, it was devastating. Um, I was in like a little dark, dark, dark place for um, for like a couple of weeks. But I had like a praying family, um, praying wife um, along my side, and they and they pulled me along and. Um, as you know, everyone knows I came back the following year and then I sustained another injury. So it, it pushed me back even more. But, um, I mean, I, I pushed through it and um, I made the best of, um, of, the whole, of the whole ordeal. Listen, I know that. Others know that. I want to make sure my listeners understand what you just said. You did come back and then you suffered a torn pectoral muscle. Seems to me like... I know that you know what you signed up for. I know that injuries are part of the game, but those are two really significant injuries and a situation where maybe you might say, you know what, it's just too much. I don't want to go there again. How were you able to maintain your vision for what you wanted to achieve with the team and just stay on that thing and just keep coming back and keep grinding? Oh, yeah, man. Um, like I said, I always have something to prove, and quitting is, is, is never was, was never in my um, in my mindset after those two after those two injuries, you'll probably have guys that probably just would have hung it up um, with, with with the age um, limit that we're in. But um, that was never that was never my mindset. Um, my mindset was um, was coming back and, and finishing what what um, I had set to accomplish um, with this team, and that was to to win um, a, a Super Bowl or whatnot. And um, I mean, like you said, after the second injury, um, it was. It was it was no doubt that I was coming back. Um, I mean, I talked to to Steve and, and and everyone here, and I told them I wanted to be back because I had something to prove, and I wanted to prove to um, the rest of the league and why they why they brought me here to Arizona. So um, that was my mind, my main thing, like coming into into um, this season. It's a strong mind, man. That's a strong mindset. I'm going to tell you what really impresses me, Robert, about this whole thing. I mean, not only did you have to come back from the injuries, not only did you have to rehab and do the work, but throughout those two years, you were going to meetings, you were at practices, you were in film sessions, you were helping the younger guys. What was that time like for you, and what did you take away from it? Man, at the end of the day, that's all about being a pro. Um, plus, if you love the game, man, injuries shouldn't stop you from um, still doing the things that you can do. And the things that I can do for those past two years was to make sure my butt was still in meetings, um, still giving um, the younger guys my feedback, what I see up on film, and um, 
I mean, that's something that I that, that I just felt that I had to do. Um, I just love the game so much, so I wasn't just going to be put on IR and just go back to where, wherever um, I was staying at and just sitting there. Um, I had to come up here each and every day and show my face and show show these guys that I want I want to be out there with y'all on Sundays. I just can't. So um, that was my way of showing that um, by attending meetings and attending practice each and every day. All right, so two things right there. Number one, it shows that you are a pro. Number two, it shows how much you love the game. So given everything you've been through the last couple of years – what does it mean to be playing right now? Like, if you loved the game before and then you go through all of this, what did that do for your love of the game and your perspective for the game? Oh, man, shoot. I mean, <laughs> I, I just love it, man. At the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a blessed individual, man, um, to be given an opportunity, um, two big injuries like that, man. It's, it's truly a blessing, man. It just shows you that um, the man upstairs definitely has um, have – show light upon me and, and, and bless me um, a lot. Hey Robert, there's one more th- aspect of this story that I want to share, just so people understand the passion you have for not only the game, but for the team. The Cardinals released you earlier in the offseason. Then you signed back a few days later at a reduced salary, and you said, I had to come back here. I had something to prove. So we've been talking about this, but specifically, what were you looking to prove, and do you feel like you are proving it right now? I mean, my main thing was to prove um, – to everyone, the, the reasoning why Arizona had bought me here, they they bought me here to to help bring a Super Bowl to this to this organization, and along with the other guys that are here. And um, of course, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm proving that, and I'm I'm still each and every day going out there grinding my butt off to to prove it even more. So um, just stay tuned um, to everyone, and I mean the work is not done yet. Just really quick, before I let you go, you've beaten the Rams in L.A., you beat the 49ers at home, now you head to Cleveland. These are three really big games in a row. It's a tough stretch. At the same time, these are the games that every good team wants to be playing in. So, like, where are you at physically? How do you go about preparing your body and your mind for not only a game every single week, but one really big game after another? Um, at the end of the day, it's just, it's just focusing on the now. Um, the now is, 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 like you said, it's studying film, uh, figuring out your opponents and um, going out there each and every day and um, making each other better and, and um, executing the game plan. Um, but you can't think too far ahead. Like you said, like we, we have big games in a row, but I think um, with the players and the coaches that we have here, we focus upon the now. And the now is, is Cleveland this week and, uh, and the rest we'll handle um, as we go on. All right, so leave me with that thought. The now is Cleveland this week, so you've been studying them, getting ready for them. What is the key to stopping the Browns' offense in your mind? Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just going out there and, um, and executing the game plan. Um, the coaches, they have a, um, a fantastic um, – game plan and us as players we just got to go out there um, minimize the mistakes and, and execute the game plan at the end of the day for me I think it's an amazing story Arizona's 5-0 and he's come back from a couple of major major injuries and playing at a high level Robert Alford my guest Robert appreciate you and your story great to have you on man thanks so much good luck yes sir thank you Jim Matt in LA what's up Matt snag Lido hey since the days that Tommy Lasorda God rest his soul had to be restrained from tackling Jeffrey Leonard flap down coming around third. Since Barroyd Bonds wasn't dotted after doing a ballerina pirouette out of the box after taking Chan Ho Park yard. Your boy Matt in L.A. 
has been chomping at the bit like DA turning gobstopper jawbreakers into fun dip for a playoff series with those dwarfs from Fisherman's Wharf. And those fickle fans up in Frisco have been having wind in their jaws all season about the breaking the Dodgers stranglehold on the NL West. So congratulations, Bag Area. You won the right, and you're up 2-0 to host the world champs. But this invitation will only get you a five-game ass-whooping out of the playoffs at the hands of the boys in blue. And memo to Seesaw up in the bay. Will the thrill Clark and Kevin Mitchell ain't walking through that door, you puke? Thankfully for San Francisco felines on the ladder. So rest easier. Because come Wednesday, when the Giants are done, you guys will all be watching the 49ers with your garlic fly breath. Bay Area tools. That's all I got for you, Jim. Dodgers in five. Out throw. Matt in L.A. Bet you didn't know I was going there. Good night.